1: Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. But for a radio audience tuning in at WYAD, 94.1 FM, and WYADonline.com here in Mississippi, as well as tuning in online through our affiliates, we appreciate you all being with us as well. I think we have our tech issue fixed now on the online side. I'm so glad you guys could join us over via the podcast at Blog Talk Radio as well as, of course, with iHeartRadio as well. We're excited to welcome Ahmed White to our broadcast today. Ahmed is the author of a powerful new book had a chance to read about a group that I knew nothing about, and that is the Wobblies. The book is called Under the Iron Heel, The Wobblies and the Capitalist War on Radical Workers. We talked to Amit not only about the extraordinary research he had to do for a book like this, but also the lessons we can all learn about something I think a lot of times we do take for granted, especially as we hear conversations today about unions and the power of unions, but also, of course, the polarizations of groups as well. We'll talk to Ahmed about the conversations he's been able to have about the book and what he wants you to take away from it too. Ahmed, thank you again for the time. Really do appreciate it.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure.
1: And, and I appreciate you working through us through the tech issues here. I, I think we have everything fixed now on both sides for the radio and online as well. Um, and I want to begin right where we are today. You've already been having some great conversations. I've listened to some of them when I was prepping for this conversation with you. What has it been like for you not only, of course, to share the history of the Wobblies, but also to see the interest in this period of time as well?
0: Yes, it's been it's been gratifying. You're right, Um to suggest that this is a group and a, and a time in our country's history that not a lot of people know very much about it. This all happened about a century ago. It was front-page news back then, and it's it's faded. And so, one of uh, the things that's been really gratifying in presenting the book and talking about it has been to uh, to kind of pique people's interest in um, in something really significant and really dramatic.
1: Hmm. And I think the interesting thing for me, though, Amit, when reading the book and looking at this history, again, like I mentioned, I, I have never even heard the term wobblies before. That's not something that I am uh, that familiar with. But there are other groups that come across, of course, we do find out about in the book, like the AFL, the American Federal, Federation of Labor, that, that we are more familiar with. The conversation about labor and rights and workers is something that is very timely for us. So I guess my question is, how did the idea for the book for come about?
0: So I I got into academia about 25 years ago, and I I initially uh, did a lot of research on criminal law, on corrections, so-called, on prisons, that sort of thing, Uh, and only gradually got into labor. But there's there's kind of, if if you're going to come to labor history, as I did, with a background in criminal justice, criminal law, and punishment, then there's no more natural landing spot than the history of the wobblies, the the industrial workers of the world. They were a labor union uh, that uh, was the object of uh, the most vigorous campaign of, of labor repression and political repression, I think, in the modern history of this country. And so there was, there was kind of a natural... Um, inclination for me to to end up writing about this organization Uh, there are other reasons as well but but those would be the main ones i think
1: and I think, too, thinking about the time that we were looking at right, and that is of course you know you know there was there was of course the idea of what what war had brought, but also the idea of still it seems like and I'm curious as your thoughts about this as someone who did the research, the idea of us against them, what was it like for you to see how even then um that was something that was considered in the way that that the wobblies were looked at
0: that's that's right, this is a story about intolerance uh about the persecution of a minority not a racial minority or gender minority but a political uh and class minority um and and it's therefore also a story about uh the underdog uh about uh the way uh the majority can bring to bear extraordinary power Uh, and really crush people, ruin the lives of thousands of people. And the the interesting thing is that this was done not by people who thought they were doing wrong, but by people who thought they were doing right. In hindsight, Mm. for people like me, this was a a terrible story, a a grave injustice. And yet the people who were responsible for this, I have no doubt, uh, were convinced that they were doing the right thing.
1: And you talk about one of those instances in the chapter, War of of Capital Against Labor, where in 1919 uh, uh, – I'm I'm sorry, in 1917, where – uh, this group of wobblies were, were beaten uh, by, by prominent businessmen, and, and, you know, and you talked about the details that were shared even then about, you know, the blood oozing from their skin, and, and I think, too, based on, and this is where I think it, it, this is so timely, and I'm curious to see your thoughts about the parallels here, about accusations made that really there was no foundation for, but all, I think, being fueled by fear. What was it like to see the road that fear came into? Because it's interesting how even today in the world we live in, both in business and politics the role that fear has in driving people and their decisions and their motives what was it like you to see how that was true even in the early 1900s
0: fear was crucial I mean this was an organization that was persecuted I argue fundamentally because they impinged on the class interest of some very powerful people but that alone didn't justify or motivate the kind of repression that they endured it took an added measure of, as you note, fear. And in this instance, the fear was fear not only that these people who were avowedly revolutionary, they wanted to change the world, not only a fear that they would do that, but a fear that somehow they were in league with the Germans at a time that this country uh, was going to war against Germany. Now, there was no foundation for that but there often isn't any foundation for the fears that are used to accomplish political purposes. The key is that it worked, even though it was, again, unfounded.
1: And and I think for people who are just hearing about this today again, this topic is something, I think, that is unique Uh, for us to consider because, again, as we talk about history, the importance of history, knowing this history does help us to kind of understand how we have gotten where we are today. Talk to us about the role of power in politics and what you were able to see about that when it came to not only, of course, what we look at today as unions, but also, of course, the influence of of trying to keep people down. What was it like for you to kind of think about those parallels?
0: indeed, I mean this again, this is a story about the persecution of a radical minority, and you might be a radical, you might sympathize with them, but even if you don 't there 's a lesson here about tolerance about the importance of restraint and about the importance of democratic rights and in this case. Uh, the rights of free speech and free association, which were uh, very much trampled upon in order to justify the persecution of this organization. and uh, Those rights are, are always in jeopardy in, in a democratic society. They're always at risk, and uh, they're the kinds of things that we always have to guard against. We have to be prepared to protect them, even when doing so uh, does not serve our interest. Uh, or advance our political causes, and I think that's one of the lessons of this book. Again, even for people who are not inclined to sympathize with uh, these radical unionists from 100 years ago, tolerance is important.
1: Talk to us about that term, because you. And again, today in 2023, when we hear the word radical, a certain thing comes to mind. What what was it like for you to kind of look at that, that word and those who were associated with it, even in this time of the Wadley's?
0: Yeah, so this was a unique kind of radicalism that these Wobblies uh, embraced. Their idea was to overthrow capitalism. And they had a a, a specific method in mind for doing that, which is interesting. They didn't intend to seize the government. They didn't intend, like, like, say, some communist revolutionaries. They didn't intend to uh, achieve their goals by... Successfully participating in the political process, getting people elected into office, or suing people, or that sort of thing—they they rejected all of that. Their idea was that they would organize enough of the working class uh, in this country and the world that eventually they could call one massive general strike and uh, bring the economic system to a standstill and um, and, and essentially demand. That, as a condition of resuming production, the capitalists surrendered to them the control of the economic system. So these people were socialist in their goals, but they were different than most socialists in how they thought they were going to accomplish
1: uh, mm-hmm. their
0: purpose. And as you might imagine, this was this was this was pretty worrying to people who, who were capitalists or people who were prosperous in the social system, and that's, that's again, a major reason they ended up, many of them, hundreds of them thrown in prison or beaten, uh, and a few of them killed.
1: And the reason why I wanted to go into it a little bit on if, uh it was because... We can see now why those are such hot button words today when people are called socialists. What that must bring back for a certain group of people when they hear those terms, right? As someone being a socialist, someone being radical, and so I think a lot of times we we think, oh, they're just using these phrases, you know, um, you know, trying, you know, trying to get a reaction, mm-hmm. and they are in that, you know, for some people, what that does conjure up. Were there a lot of surprises for you uh, when you were doing this research when it came to the Wobblies and their time period? Or did you go into the book kind of knowing about the history enough that you kind of knew the story you wanted to be able to share?
0: I knew the basic outlines of the story, but there are a lot of parts of the story that were surprising to me. One is just how much these people suffered, how many of them uh, were persecuted, thrown in prison, beaten, thrown into local jails, that kind of thing. And and even though I was prepared for this because I had done work earlier on the subject, I was also surprised by their perseverance, um, their their courage in the face of this persecution. And and surprise, maybe surprise is the wrong word, but but certainly struck by um, the tragedy of their experiences. So as courageous as these people were in the face of persecution, many of them were broken. They had their lives Turned upside down. They, they, this was a devastating experience to me, and I guess, I guess, in the broadest sense, that was maybe the most affecting part of writing this story. Was you, I got a sense, and I try to give readers a sense of what it means to be the object of this kind of persecution, the real human cost of this. It's nothing to sniff at, um, and again, that's something that registered with me, and that I try to make, I try to make clear in the book.
1: Another thing that comes up in the book that I was not expecting, because again, me not knowing a lot about the time period, is the role of the Supreme Court in this as well. Talk to us about what that was like for you to see yes, how so, the Supreme Court played such a role in this, especially in you know in, in the early 1900s.
0: Yes, so this is a story uh, about persecution where a main major part of this was legal persecution. People prosecuted for. Um, violating the Espionage Act, uh, something that's been in the news uh, quite a bit of late, uh, supposedly by undermining the war effort, by conspiring to undermine the war effort, and also by committing something called criminal syndicalism, which is basically a crime that was enacted for the purpose of persecuting the Wobblies, it made it a crime to advocate or to be the member of an organization that advocated revolutionary social change so hundreds of Wobblies were convicted of one or the other of these crimes, um, and they inevitably appealed, some of them appealed their convictions, many of them with the help of the ACLU and some other organizations. And eventually those appeals uh, went before um, the U.S. Supreme Court, either appeals by Wobblies or by, uh, by other leftists who were raising similar claims. Um, and what the courts did, including the US Supreme Court, was almost universally say, "This kind of persecution is constitutional. It doesn't violate the First Amendment. It's not an unconstitutional impingement on free speech or on freedom of association. Um, and this was really telling because this wasn't just conservative judges who made these determinations when it came to the wobblies. It was also uh, what we called progressives back then, or liberals. Uh, who joined in this campaign and and this this approach, who basically said, yes, we have to respect the rights of free speech and association in this country, but these people go too far. They did that. I think it's significant, even though there was essentially no evidence uh, that these wobblies ever resorted to force or violence or anything of the sort or any good evidence that they were trying to undermine the war effort.
1: And I think again, that's why this book is so powerful. There's so many different layers to this, and I did not think that again made me think about where we are today, the way the press is looked at, even journalism then, you know, and how they reviewed, and and of course you know, when it came to the idea of making sure the truth was out. Jack London, that surprised me as well. Again, talk, so again, as you mentioned, you had the the basic framework for this. What was it like for you to see how individuals like Jack London, names that we do that are more recognizable for a lot of us, um, the role that they played during this time period.
0: So Jack London, um, when I first started writing the book, I I knew London had an association with the IWW, with the Wobblies, but I didn't pay it much attention until a few years into the project, uh, by which time it had become evident that there there was really something more here than I initially imagined. And Jack London was never a Wobbly himself. But I ended up completely convinced that you can't really understand Jack London, who he was, what his writings were about, without understanding his relationship to the IWW, to the Wobblies, and you couldn't really fully understand the Wobblies, where they were coming from, what they were trying to accomplish without understanding their relationship to Jack London. There was a very close relationship there. There Their experiences inspired London's writings and his his political consciousness, and his writings in turn were extremely important to these wobblies. It helped them understand politics, understand class, understand their place in the world. So there really was a, a kind of synergetic relationship between london and the wobblies and that was all the more appealing to me because you know although like most people i know the ways in which london's legacy can be problematic he also was an enormous influence on me as 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 a young person and into my adult years so i was happy uh to to draw his story into this story
1: And I think it's something that, again, readers will appreciate. Again, everyone, Ahmed White has been our guest. The book is Under the Iron Heel, The Wobblies and the Capitalist War on Radical Workers. It really is a fascinating look. And and I think it's something that all of us can appreciate, Ahmed, and I'm so glad that you brought this history to us. What is your hope, though? I learned a lot from it just from the time period and the individuals, but what was your hope in releasing Under the Iron Heel that you wanted readers to take away from it?
0: Oh, a, a couple things. One is I... I thought this was a story that, that's worth remembering. I mean, people have a lot of people have written about the IWW. What I tried to do was comprehensively tell the story of the repression that they endured, and to tell it in a way that spoke to its that speaks to its human dimensions, its cost, uh, the burdens it imposed on people. Because I, I simply think that's a story that is, again, quite well worth remembering. On that level alone, and in addition to that, I think there are some more immediate lessons here uh, about the state. Um, I'm not inalterably opposed to the state as, as as an institution in modern society. I think to some extent it's essential. Uh, but but I also think that this story comes with a warning about uh, about what the state can do and and what the state can do, as I suggested earlier, in the name of good and the bad things that can follow from that. And I think this story is, um, is, 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 an, is an object lesson in that. And it's also a lesson about, um, ab- about liberalism and progressivism and the complicated ways that liberals and progressives have uh, have related to uh, people on the left, radicals and people in the labor movement. And I think there are some lessons there, even though I, I don't imagine that those lessons are necessarily simple ones. I'm I'm not arguing that this is a story about how liberals betray the left or something like that, but but rather just a story about the importance of appreciating the complexity of, uh, of how institutions and people relate to each other.
1: Yeah. And I think actually being able to communicate with one another and getting to know one another versus, again, allowing fear to be the driving and deciding factor, I think. Um, and, and That's I think right. I mean, that-
0: you asked me earlier things that surprised me. Well, I don't know if it was a surprise, but one of the gratifying things that comes up from time to time in this story is uh, the expression of a, a basic humanity, of people who are, say, adverse to the Wobblies, but who, who at some point recognize what we're doing here is wrong. These are, these are our fellow human beings here. These are, these are ordinary men. Uh, and they were mostly men who we need to treat better than this. And I, I think that's an important lesson as well.
1: Yeah, such a great point. The book's available to our friends at Amazon dot com your favorite local bookstore. Um, Ahmed, how can our audience stay connected with you? Uh you can
0: reach me through AhmedY dot org or uh through the University of colorado um, School of Law where I'm I'm currently teaching. I welcome any inquiries about the book and my emails um easy to find.
1: All right. Congratulations to you again, Mohammed. Really appreciate you stopping by and looking forward to our next chat together.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure.
1: Thank you, and we thank you, audience for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. I appreciate you guys sticking with us, especially through our tech issues on the online side of our broadcast. For those tuning in on the radio side, thank you again for joining us for Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webb, saying, as always, enjoy your day, enjoy your life, enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live. Let's go make today amazing. Take care.